Hello and welcome to Eremus Game Analysis, where we uh, go over a professional game with the next professional player or coach, try and get a little bit of depth in the game that might help a young player trying to learn things, might help a young aspiring coach. And uh, this week we're doing the MLS opener between FC Cincinnati and the Houston Dynamo with a very special guest with experience both sides of the Atlantic, Mr. Justin Hoyt. Thanks for coming on, Justin. Anytime. How are you, mate? How's things? I'm good. I'm good. Better now you're here. Yeah. So, um, um, do you want to just start off by telling the viewers a little bit about your career? I know it started in England and ended up in Cincinnati, uh, which is obviously the link to this game. Yeah, it started off with uh, being in the academy at Arsenal from a young age, uh, from 10 right up until uh, 17, getting my first YTS and signing pro, 18, playing for the Arsenal first team. Um, was fortunate enough to do that. Went on loan to Sunderland. Um, Borough fan, not too keen on Sunderland, but I went there on loan for a season, which was great experience. From there, I went back to Arsenal for a few years. Um, some would say, unfortunately, to leave Arsenal, um, but I thought it was a great thing and signed six years. Uh, uh, well, say six years. I spent seven years in Mid- Middlesbrough, which was um, your beloved club and a club that I fell in love with. Um, hence why I was there six, seven years. And I really enjoyed it. Unfortunately, then I had to leave and go to Millwall, Dagenham and Redbridge. Um, and then after that, went on a few trials, and which was great. I had the opportunity to go over to the pond and play in uh, America, which is was always a huge dream of mine. And playing in the USL for two years. And finally enough, um, in Cincinnati in the MLS, which was uh, great. So I guess it's a career that's gone um, in roundabouts, I would say. So you said you said something there that I think uh, could have some good information for young players because you mentioned yep. the value of a loan. Mm-hmm. And I think for every Lionel Messi who just goes seamlessly from the academy <laughs> to the first team, Lucky, there's yeah. probably 10, 15, 20 players who do make it to the first team world but either end up with a delayed path of years on the bench or loans. So yep. what, what, did, what did you learn? What's the bridge between youth football and men's football that, that you learned out on loan? I'll say what was good for me is the fact that at Arsenal, um, as we say, we was top of the league, winning all the games, and I was learning my trade, learning from the experienced players, um, living at home, uh, close to family, close to friends. And then having that transition where I went from having all that to going to Sunderland, living on your own, living somewhere completely different, um, having to do things by yourself. You learn a lot about yourself. You educate yourself. You learn how to do certain things. And it's then also on the playing side, it's like I was in and around the first team, but not always there. Then you're fully in the first team, playing Premier League games. You know, you're first seen as a first team regular, training with the first team. Um, that all you've got to get used to. And I would say it's valuable experience knowing that and learning that because also while I was doing that, it's like you're going from a team that's top of the league to a team that, you know, we finished bottom of the league. Um, and the team that was, I say, Arsenal was always on the ball, always front foot, always had possession on the ball. And you're going to Sunderland where majority of the time we was defending. So I guess in that sense, I learned a lot defensively um, and attacking-wise at Arsenal. So I learned both sides of, you know, the highs and lows of football at such an uh, early age, which was great. And I say helped my career um, as I developed. And, you know, I didn't always reach the top. Um, and, you know, that kind of helped when um, there was failures in my career also. I'd say the top is relative, Justin. I think you, I think you did all right, man. 
But yeah, uh, the, one, right. <laughs> the one thing I will say is I um I find sometimes player development to be a bit one-dimensional. And what yeah. I mean by that is everyone wants to teach people to be that Arsenal player, to be yeah. on the front foot, to send your fullbacks forward, to have possession of the ball, to press high. But if you're truly a youth coach or a college coach in America developing professionals, you should, to me, be developing a player that's competent at both ends of that scale. Not yeah. a player that's good at Arsenal, but then he goes to Sunderland, put under a bit more defensive pressure, has to play with a bit more of the ball, so he folds. So yeah. I, I think that's great info for young players too. Yeah, and I think what's also interesting, what we see a lot nowadays is you see young players, yes, they're talented and they say they're the next this, they're the next that, but sometimes they'll go on loan to a team where, say it's not like a Chelsea, Man City, Arsenal, Tottenham, whatever not, they might go to a league that's a bit lower, a bit out of their comfort zone and they don't know how to perform. Mm-hmm. And it's a completely different change. It's a completely different mindset. They ask to do different things. They're, um, you know, just a different environment, a completely different environment to what they've grown up to. And certain players don't know how to adapt to it. And if you don't know how to adapt to it, it's hard to really shine and show what true talent you are and what a talent you do have. Because, you know, at the end of the day, the top players have got the money to go out and buy you know, loads of players, they don't really need to go to the academy. Yes, if you're a young player, you get the chance, but sometimes you don't get that opportunity. So then it's like, right, teams will look at you because you've had that football in education. Yeah. Um, but it's also that other side of it where, you know, you know, you got to knuckle down and get... Um, it's hard sometimes, trust me. <laughs> well, I, I think an un- undervalued asset in a footballer Mm-hmm. It's not years of failure, but years of persistence because yeah, you have I'm to, a yeah. Middlesbrough fan and Tuba Akpom at one time, he's the bright young England under 21 striker who plays for Arsenal. Yeah, of course. And then yeah. he went through a probably a three to five year period where he maybe he feels a little bit like he's on the treadmill and wonder if he's going to make it or not. I yeah. know Middlesbrough farmed him out to Greece a year ago on loan. And now this season, he can't miss. And yeah, yeah. like, I think it's almost that struggle. And those reps that he had to do and those years in the bank of development, mm-hmm. oh, it's all part of what we're seeing now. He didn't just all of a sudden figure out how to be a footballer. No, of course not. And that's that's also part of his development. And that's why you get to learn a lot about yourself is when you have these setbacks, you get touted as a young prospect or young talent. It's like when you're not reaching that, how do you react? Do you go under? Do you thrive off that and be like, no, I can come back better. I can go somewhere else, learn experience and come back the next season full of energy, ready to show what talent I am. And Kubak Pong is, is a yeah. prime example of that, of what he's achieved this season. And you look at him this season, if he carries on scoring goals, I'm sure there'll be, if Middlesbrough, which we hope, make it to the Premier League, I'm sure there'll be one or two Premier League clubs after him looking Careful. at how many goals he scored that season. Careful. Sorry. <laughs> I'm just being honest. I'm just being honest. We've seen it before. We've seen it before. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, on to the uh, the subject of today, which was the Cincinnati game. Obviously, we don't have a lot of context. This is the season opener. Um, you know, as a Cincinnati fan, I know you do some other work and you've played there. So you've got a bit more Cincinnati background with me. I can tell you the team I coached, the Michigan Stars. We played their uh, two-team last week with Shavar Thomas. I was very impressed. Uh, we lost 2-1 and their movements were excellent. They were smooth. They were well-drilled. They were... They were impressive, you know. They were the, some of the boys were young, but you could you can see there's something going on at that club of some real quality. But what are your um, as a Cincinnati fan? What are you thinking coming into preseason? 
I feel I've had a great preseason. They've obviously ended last season on a high. Um, getting into the playoff, getting securing their first victory against a, a good Red Bull team, and now playing uh season opener. Um, having a good preseason, they've brought in one or two quality players, which is which is good to see. They've retained a lot of their old players from last season, which is important well, going into an MLS season. So I'm hopeful that they're going to perform really well this season. Um, will they be in the playoffs again? I think so. Will they challenge for titles? I don't think they're there just yet. But um, I'm excited for this season for the team. Uh, I feel they've got a lot of talent um, in the attacking third. And defensively, if they get things right, I'm sure they'll be there or thereabouts again this season. And then Houston Dynamo. Uh, disappointing season last season. Very and Olsen's come in as head coach. Um, what were your thoughts on them coming into the game? Houston had a lot of new players. Um, just looking at their background before the game, a lot of new players. Um, one or two decent players. I know they've got Arthur from Columbus Crew is a very good player. I know playing against him and seeing him for Columbus, I'll drive for Cincinnati. He is their main experienced player who's great on the ball. But for me, I don't know what to expect. Um, even going into this game, I didn't know what to expect from them, especially with so many new players, so many new faces, a new manager. Obviously, having a bad season as a Houston Dynamo team would um, obviously expect to make the playoffs and do really well. They didn't do that. So I guess in that respect, we didn't know what to expect um, going into this game. Yeah. So just got the teams up here, just mm-hmm. for the people listening. Uh, Cincinnati played uh, Calentano in goal, who was a Indiana University alumni. I'm very confident. I remember him from my Dartmouth days. And oh, then yeah. a back three of... Mesquera on loan from Wolves. Matt Miazga, who's a veteran we all know, played at Reading. Uh, Hogland and a centre mid of Nuobodo and Moreno. Wingbacks of Barriel and Arias. Uh, Acosta in a central sort of floating number 10 role. And then Vasquez and Santos. Uh, Houston, Clark in goal, veteran there. Bartlow and Hadibi at centre-back. Escobar right-back. Schmidt at left back, uh, the very impressive Herrera and Arthur behind Carrasquillo in midfield. Corey Baird, who's another MLS veteran who I like on the right wing. Franco on the left wing and number nine, Ferreira. So first 10 minutes of this game, what I'm seeing is Houston are very, very deliberately picking the strategy of short passes, you know, intricate buildup. And Cincinnati with less of the ball, to me, are doing more damage. You know, the front two, number 17 and 19, there seems to be a shorter path to goal. Mm. They seem to be a threat on the turnover. And if I was forced to bet after 10 minutes, I would have honestly bet on a Cincinnati win. Uh, One thing that happens early is we get a foul from uh, Arthur, the holding center mid, on Santos. And I believe some people don't realize the gravity of that. Because when I coach a team, I'm going to be honest with you, my holding center mid, Number six gets a yellow card in the first 10 minutes. That's a little bit of anxiety. You're wondering Mm. that he's one tackle away from changing the entire complexion of the game. I'm probably already thinking if we need to be subbing him early in the second half. And I just feel like as a player, you're now reining your aggression and sort of concede a little bit of an advantage off 1v1 dribbles if you're going to go 80 minutes with a yellow card. You've obviously played at a high level. Talk to me about the psychology of a yellow card in the first 10 minutes. That's tough. Uh, you change the way you play, um, especially defensively. 
just because you know you've got that yellow card early on, you know that any silly little tackle, any silly little foul, anything that goes against you, you you react the wrong way. You're going to get another yellow card. And especially in the MLS, you do anything wrong, you're going to get sent off. That's 100%. Um, you know that. So for me, if I got an early card yellow one, luckily I didn't after a few bad tackles sometimes. But um, I would definitely have to change the way I play, especially defensively, which I think sometimes affects, especially holding midfield play, that definitely affects the way you play. Yeah. And then since Cincinnati continued to cause problems, you know, there is one uh, cross that comes over from the left wing back that Santos misses at the back post. And then they open the scoring pretty soon after. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought the goal was interesting systemically. Mm-hmm. And the reason I say that is, in theory, Arthur and Herrera should be able to shield that area in front of the centre-backs pretty, pretty well. Yeah. But from what I'm seeing for this goal... The number 17, he goes out onto the sideline. He passes backwards to the centre mid number five, Noah Bordo. I'm sorry if I'm getting that name wrong. Obi, Obi, you just called him Obi here, by some way. Yeah. Um, you know, 17 floats back in central, gets past the ball, I thought, pretty easily yeah. from the, on the edge of the 18. And then he's got two guys there. He's got a fullback and a centre back in front of him. And for me, it just seemed a bit too easy for him to take a, take a touch up in the shooting lane and put it bottom corner for 1-0. What did you think of that defending? Yeah, and I felt that. And I felt also, having that early yellow card from Arthur, I felt that also that hampered his defending in that situation. I thought he would have dealt with that situation a lot different if he wasn't on the yellow card. Um, and I yeah. felt as a Houston defence, I just felt that they didn't handle that situation well enough. They had more than enough numbers around the ball to be able to stop the forward play. Um, to for even to stop Santos getting out of that situation, as soon as you see him in that situation, you should apply pressure. And I also felt that there wasn't enough cover in the central area for Houston, um, in order to track Barrial's run. He made a blindside run, um, as he played the ball forward in the interception. He played it to Obi. Obi played it wide to Santos, and then you see in the freeze frame Barrial making that run forward behind the Houston, um, midfield or attacker. And even behind the blind side of the referee, uh, made a great pass with his outside of his foot. Um, and I just felt that Santos um, outmuscled his defender. And as a defender, you want to be you want to be stronger. You want to be opposing yourself on a striker. But I just felt that as a defender, he got outmuscled. Interesting. It's interesting that you think the yellow card played a role in the goal too, because it. Just- yeah, because I thought he would have tackled him a bit harder if he he would have probably would have gone all in if it wasn't a yellow card yeah. earlier on. And I think a good lesson for young forwards is, you know, a lot of time I watch young players and they're in a situation like the uh, the goal here mm. and they will try and dribble past that defender yeah, yeah. and get their shot off, whereas there's really no need. You know, it's really an exercise in just moving the ball laterally, opening yeah. up the lane to shoot and then pulling the trigger. You know, for me, yeah. you'll get three, four times the amount of shots off if you develop that mindset as opposed to 1v1 dribbles. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, 100%. And he got the yard that he needed. He got a little nice little touch. He used his muscles, used his strength, and put it in the bottom corner. I felt the keeper was blindsided a little bit, didn't expect the shot in his near post. I think he felt like he was going to whip it across him, which normal strikers do. Um, but all in all, it was a great finish from Santos and something we've not seen from him um, in past games, but in last season when he signed. But it's great to see this side of him also, which is going to be interesting once Brenner starts um, coming back and he's fully fit, who's going to start. Good. And for the re- the rest of the first half hour, mm-hmm. the impression I'm got 
watching this and tell me your thoughts is Houston are trying too hard here. Yeah, 100%. They're trying to find the six. There was one spear as a player where Steve Clark puts the ball down and the six Houston players <laughs> within 30 yards of their own goal. And I think they, like on the 10th pass, they find a player in the center circle. And it looks great when it comes off, mm-hmm. but they turn the ball over, which A, gets Cincinnati's confidence up, yeah. B, gets the crowd into the game, and C, gets the ball at the feet of Vasquez, um, Acosta, mm. Santos. It's just just not what you want, right? No, right. And I felt like Houston were playing into Cincinnati's hands. They kept playing, trying to play out from the back, but it wasn't like a playing out of a back with a purpose. It was, you're going so wide out to the centre-backs. I felt that the two centre-backs of um, Houston were spread too wide across the box, which played perfectly into Cincinnati's hands the way they want to press that was perfect um which I felt you know was bad of Houston and was great for Cincinnati for an old attempt to do that and they had a lot of turnovers in the game uh Houston especially in the first half um and Cincinnati unfortunately weren't able to to turn these opportunities into goals but at the same time I still felt Houston going forward um tried too many little intricate passing didn't really cause too much of a threat. Um, I'd say the striker didn't really do too much to threat the defence of Cincinnati. And for the most part, I felt that Cincinnati done a decent enough job um, yeah. for the most part of that, that half, I would say. Yeah, the game tilts a little bit. Uh, two you know, incidents of no 31st minute. Um, Houston forced a turnover of their own. It's Herrera, who was very, very impressive. One of the yeah, best players on the field. And that yeah. ends in a... In a play where there's a shot on goal, uh, we go to VAR to check for a handball. It ends up there's no penalty. Um, mm-hmm. What were your thoughts on that decision? No, this this is a this is a real grey area at the minute. You know, it's ball to hand. Is it deliberate? Is it this? Is it that? No one ever knows. But I, I, I guess if that was given against me, I'd be fuming. So I was glad as a Cincinnati <laughs> supporter and as as a fellow defender that that wasn't given because I would have been fuming if that was. So, if, so um, Justin Height, the defender, is siding with the defender. Yeah, of course. That's the, that's <laughs> but the don't get me wrong. If it was on the opposite way, I'd be, <laughs> trying, I'd be shouting for a penalty. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. That, that's the kind of cutting-edge content we need. <laughs> <laughs> don't get and, me wrong. And then somewhat against the runner play, there's an equaliser. Um, there is a ball hacked out of play for a corner. Um, Herrera, who's been very impressive on a team that's second best, which I almost think is a feat in itself to stand out this much as an individual. No, when your yet. team's on the back foot, he mm. puts a very good cross in. Um, the left-back Schmidt beats his man um, at the far post, and it's a pretty open header. Now, I want your thoughts on this as a defender, because I watched the replay, and when the goal goes in, Mesquera is very upset, and he's, his arms are flying around, and he's talking to people. Yeah, I can't see anything other than him, him marking Schmidt and getting beat. Um, so what's he upset about? I think he's upset about that someone else should have been on the far post in that zone where the ball went. That's the only thing that I can see why he's so mad is that someone else should have either been in that zone or that wasn't his man. So I don't know what has gone wrong. Maybe a miscommunication. I don't know if they've got the players mixed up. Um, but with the delivery here, got, you need to make sure that you know, you're spot on because his passing range, his delivery on set pieces is borderline perfect like he can put it wherever he wants and he put it in the right place and miscommunication lack of concentration whatever you want to call it 
you know, it ends up in the back of the net. Um, that can lose you games. It can draw you games. It can lose you points. Um, so in that point, you know, we'll look back at that and wonder who should have been in that area. Um, and as I look at it, I don't know who should have been in that area anyway. No. So here's a question for you then. Mm -hmm. um, it's half time. Yeah. I'll just give you the job as Ben Olsen as the Houston coach. Yeah. From what I can see, you're turning the ball over repeatedly in your own half. Mm -hmm. Santos and Vasquez look very, very dangerous. Mm -hmm. Acosta's having no trouble getting on the ball mm -hmm. beneath that base of Arthur on the yellow card and Herrera. Mm -hmm. uh, Barriol and Arias are having no problem getting on the ball, coming in as wide tens. Mm -hmm. I mean, the score is 1-1, but the flow of the game, I think Cincinnati are doing everything that they want to do. Mm -hmm. what, would you, what would you be doing there at halftime about that? I would, um, for me, I wouldn't. I would have brought in my centre backs a bit closer to play out from the back if that's what I wanted to continue to do. I probably wouldn't play out from the back every moment. I understand why they, why you'd want to play out of the back because you put the ball in the air against Haglund, uh, Miowski, and uh, the other centre back there. You're going to lose. Um, so I would definitely put my wide players a lot wider. Um, for Cincinnati to defend a little bit deeper and, and put the ball in behind Cincinnati. Um, because in the first half, you saw if you can get in behind the two wingbacks, um, you've got a little bit of joy. So I would really put pressure on getting the ball in behind them, stretching the field um, and really trying to dominate the central areas. Isolate Acosta, get Arthur and um, Pierre on the ball and start making some forward runs. Because I just felt that everything was to feet, to feet, to feet. Nothing was really in behind, in behind. And for Cincinnati, they like everything in front of them. Yeah. Uh, well, I won't lie, coming out the second half in terms of being put under pressure, I don't think Houston put a lot of pressure on, to be honest no, with you. With no. If I'm a Houston fan, I'm definitely all right with 1-1. Yeah. The game is, I think, somewhat getting away from them. I think I'm starting to feel, as a fan watching, that the goal's coming. Um What's quite impressive for Cincinnati's depth is Brenner, mm -hmm. who was a star last season. Yeah. He comes off the bench fresh mm -hmm. in the mm -hmm. 62nd minute. Mm -hmm. um, Houston make a couple of subs. Um, Griffin Dorsey and Quinones. Uh, fun fact, Griffin Dorsey played on an Indiana team that beat my Dartmouth team 4-0 um, right. when I caught the Dartmouth, so we don't mm -hmm. like him. Um, <laughs> and then what I thought was the most impactful sub of the game is uh, number nine came out and Ulfarsson, the former Duke forward, who went viral for taunting goalkeepers during his college oh, years <laughs> and uh, was a first-round draft pick. He comes on, mm -hmm. and uh, <clears throat> I thought we may have seen a bit of an Achilles heel now because I mm -hmm. thought the direct nature, there was more crosses. He had a yeah. chance pretty much the second he came on. Sure, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, I thought his physical, direct, intense style, I thought those... Since he centre backs were creaking a little bit with him on the field, what 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 do you think? Yeah, and why I also see that is because I felt like the first half the centre backs didn't have much trouble. They was happy playing against the number nine who didn't really cause them anything. He didn't really, as far as I see, didn't really run in behind. Wasn't coming to feet to hold the ball up. Wasn't really, you know, making it uncomfortable for Cincinnati at the mo at the time. The three centre backs had it quite easy. Um, I would say, but as soon as they made the substitution, that's why the game changed. The striker come on, put himself about, was running in behind, had a chance early on. And it seemed like they got a little bit of momentum from that Houston. Um, mm -hmm. And that's the kind of impact, you know, you want a sub to make. 
And after that, I felt like Houston started putting a few passes together and looked quite a decent side once they changed the striker. Um, but for me, I always felt that Cincinnati were going to get another goal. Houston was still trying to play out from the back. And when they brought when Cincinnati brought Brenner on, they really know how to press them front three. Once you put Brenner, Vasquez and Acosta together, that's what they like. That's how they press. They've played that all last season. So they know, and I felt that Houston was still playing into Cincinnati's hands and it showed in one or two chances near the end. Yeah, and I think I've skipped over it, but you know, on the Houston end, that's pretty much the story of their half. Cincinnati, they take a 2-1 lead yeah. early in the second half through Nuobordo. And I just think personally, consistently through this second half and really the 90 minutes, it's the same thing. Yeah, Every time Vasquez gets the ball, he looks dangerous, he looks big. Strong, fast, skillful, direct. Just just a very, very good player, I think. He reminds me of when he was fit, the Brazilian Adriano, mm -hmm. in terms of just constantly running at defenders. I think Acosta is constantly open, constantly between lines, you know, mm -hmm. pretty much unmarkable on this day, which is surprising because, in theory, uh, central midfield base of Arta and Herrera would be very, very strong. But that yeah. wasn't the case. And uh, the wing-back burial is man of the match for me. What, it, yeah. what, are, what are your thoughts on... Yeah, he's, he's man of the match. Um, I see it a little different, having watched Cincinnati a long time. I agree with you with everything you're saying. But I feel still Vasquez in games, in majority of this game, he was missing. Um, I felt early on, Santos was the one creating a lot of chances, putting himself about. But with Vasquez, he's that type of player that you can never count him out. You look in the first half, he didn't really get too many chances. He was quite quiet. But in the second half, he had a great chance. Great chance. 1v1, he should score. Mm. Now, if you want to be a clinical striker, one of the best strikers in the world, playing the US national team all the time, they're the sort of chances that you've got to get, you've got to put away. Yeah. Um, and that's being honest. I look at Acosta. For a lot of the game... I felt early on he was more um, annoyed that he wasn't getting the right pass. He wasn't getting the surface, service he wanted um, for whatever reason. Things weren't 100% going his way. But at the same time, when he gets on the ball, you saw in this game and all of last season, he's so dangerous. Yeah, He floats around. He's a, I call him a luxury player. He gives one-twos. He can find them passes. He's got a little bit of something that no one else has. And I feel if Cincinnati don't have him, they're lost. Let me tell you what I see, and I, I don't know if I'm projecting here, but it almost feels like the team is built on purpose where you put Vasquez out there, yeah. you've got that strength, you've got that pace, you've now got two centre-backs who constantly mm -hmm. are engaged with two yeah. big forwards who can run mm -hmm. in behind. Yeah. And so every time Acosta kind of floats between the he midfield and the centre-back, the centre-backs almost have to discard him because they're so preoccupied. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Vasquez, Vasquez um, Santos parents. Santos, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I feel that's the same. And with Vasquez, he brings that presence as well. He brings that presence where he can put the ball in the box. He's got that presence where he can hold the ball up and he's strong, which is a great asset to have. Barrio, for, for sure, is 100% man of the match. Um, Attacking-wise, he was great. Putting across is what you want from a wing-back, considering he's not actual natural defender also. He's a left winger. I felt he'd done really well in this game. Which is yeah, great. what really impressed me is when the 70-minute mark hit, mm -hmm. there's a couple of players where he runs all the way back to the corner flag tackle, <laughs> tracking a yeah. run. 
He yeah. gets himself a yellow card late on, you know, sticking yeah. and tackling. He really um rolled his sleeves up and made an uh made an effort to grind out this game, which isn't the case with every player of that um yeah. that attacking ilk, you know. Yeah, especially as a, a natural defender and someone who we've seen often wants to be a natural winger or a number ten. It's great to see him on the defensive side of it get back and do his defensive duties, which nowadays is is very rare you see that, but it's great that I say Cincinnati have an asset there and I'm sure as time goes on, he'll get better defensively as just as good as he is attacking. But for me, he's one of the, the bright sparks in this team. As a Cincinnati defender, you must have been very proud watching that last. Yeah, time. I was, yeah. Um, especially seeing, especially the, seeing the victory out, yeah. I don't know if I would have got back in my old age, but yeah. <laughs> so if you were a Cincinnati coach, you know, what are observations where you're making ahead of the next game? What are we focusing on in training? What are we happy with? What are we not happy with from this? The first thing is set pieces. We have to knuckle down on set pieces. Um, set pieces are a huge thing in the MLS. I would still say positionally, um, they still got played through quite easily, outnumbered in the central areas. Um, once Acosta vacated that area, if he wasn't, you know, once he was attacking their transition period. Um, and just for me, the distances between the back line and the rest of the team. I felt sometimes that wasn't right. And when that wasn't right, they was easy. Uh, Houston was easy able to turn the ball over and play him behind the back line. Um, well, he, so me, I'm really... Just to drill down a bit, Justin, let's say there's a youth or a high school or a college coach listening right now. Mm-hmm. It was a little two, three-minute masterclass from someone who's played over 100 EPL games about mm-hmm. what you should be looking to teach when it comes to distances between your lines and what cues might be. It's pressing cues, I would say. Um, you saw it sometimes in the game is where the the strikers will press and sometimes you see it in Premier League games or in World Cup games you see the striker going full pelt pressing, pressing, pressing and the opposite is he's just pass straight past him into their number six and he's turning around and looking at everyone else and they're already on the halfway line or in, you know just above their edge of their box and he's looking as if to say like why are they so deep so for me it's like right pressing if he's the cue to press, everyone needs to go and press at the same time. Because if you don't press at the same time, you're easy to get broken down. Yeah. Good. It's in pressing cues, really. And then the midfield needs to go up. The back line needs to go up. But I always say the back line needs to, or someone in the back line needs to be the person who tells the midfield to press. The midfield needs to tell the strikers when to press. So I feel you all need to have someone in each, say, line of of. Uh, formation who's barking out the orders who's telling them to press who's telling them to sit who's telling them to hold who's telling them to press and that's normally a central midfielder or a defender yeah so projections going forward Cincinnati look like an MLS playoff team to me from my experience look like they might win a couple of games I don't know that they uh, they will hold up against the likes of the Philly Union with that back line from what I saw Mm-hmm. Um, and Houston, I think Herrera will be one of the best players in the entire league. But mm-hmm. um, I think beyond that, there's some nice players, but I, I don't see a playoff team there. What about you? Yeah, I agree with you. I think Houston uh, got individuals that have got good individual qualities, whoever they can put it together. I'm not sure. Um, Hiera, yes, he's going to be the main player and probably the star player for them. I actually feel that they're going to miss out on the playoffs. I don't think they'll do too well this season um, just because I see the West being very strong. 
the Western Conference have been very strong this season. I don't think they're going to be in the playoff contentions just from looking at the first game. Yes, it's early doors, but I, I still see that. Cincinnati have got a good start to the season, uh, first game. It's going to be a tough game now going away to Orlando. Um, and then they've got Seattle at home after that. So these are the next two big games. Seattle was a great team, a great organisation. You can find out pretty quick where you stand. Where they stand, yeah. Um, as I say, in the MLS, you don't have to start off great. Um, as long as the second part of the season, you can push on. Um, but you want to win as many games as you can. So I see Cincinnati making the playoffs, yes. Um, but it's still going to be a, a tough one. Um, there's a lot of teams last season who didn't make the playoffs that will be a lot stronger this season. Um but I feel they can grind out a few results this season for sure, like they did last season again to the playoffs. 